You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 110 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode, my guest is author and podcaster Joanna Harcourt-Smith. Joanna was born in Switzerland and grew up in Paris. She speaks five languages and is a creative and spiritual individual, I would say. And in the late 60s, her exploration of mind-liberating substances led her to find Dr. Timothy Leary. In October 2013, Joanna published a memoir about her adventures with Timothy Leary entitled Tripping with the Bardot with Timothy Leary. Currently, she has her own podcast called The Future Primitive that hosts weekly interviews with forward thinkers and visionaries all over the world. There is a quote on her site, futureprimitive.org, that I really liked and that both I and her seem to embrace. If you don't like the media, be the media. So thanks for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Can you tell the listeners uh, who you are and, and what you do? Yes, well, I started a podcast uh, program 10 years ago. I live in the States. I live in uh, New Mexico, which is uh, close to Texas and California. And uh, so I started this podcasting 10 years ago, and I've, I've got around 600 episodes every week. I upload uh, a new uh, a new story from an author, speaker, luminary, poet, many many different uh, many different kinds of people, and uh, mainly my work is dedicated to the planet and raising raising people's awareness of. Um, the fact that we live on this living earth and uh, that it's our home and uh, that we need to respect it and uh, and love it and nurture it so that's my that's my podcast work every week every week it's called uh, you can find me at www.futureprimitive.org and uh I've written a book which has been published and it's called Tripping the Bardo with Timothy Leary uh, for the youngest amongst the listeners. Timothy Leary was one of the uh, most well-known leaders of the 60s revolution he was a, um, a psychologist. He worked at Harvard, and uh, he uh, pretty much um, brought back the understanding of the shamanic use of psilocybin, and also he worked 
after LSD was discovered by Albert Hoffman, so in the late 50s and early 60s, Timothy Leary discovered LSD himself and believed that taken in the right uh, right way, in the right set and setting and with the right guidance could help people to discover their own, the unlimitedness of their own consciousness and uh, open up uh, to get out of the unique radio station, so to speak, that they are stuck in so that... Uh, so that they could hear and see and feel a lot more of what's going on around us and actually in the entire universe. So um, he, I can't say he advocated, but he presented LSD as a possibility for healing and opening the brain in ways that it had that had never been done before. Um, LSD became pretty much a street drug that was available everywhere in the 60s and 70s, mainly because the um, the authorities of the time made it illegal and refused to give this substance to psychologists and the medical profession to help in the healing of malaise, depression, psychosis. The the government refused to do that and instead made it a um, very... um, a very dangerous substance that... uh, put people in prison for using it and for manufacturing it. So instead of becoming a tool for the medical profession, LSD became, quote-unquote, a dangerous drug. And following that, um, that interdiction by the government, it was picked up by a lot of chemists uh, across the world and sold, quote-unquote, illegally or passed around illegally so that people could take this uh, voyage of exploration and discovery within their own minds. And it became extremely popular. So Timothy Leary was the person who um, who most spoke about the LSD and what it could do for you. And uh, I spent five years with Timothy Leary as uh, as his lover and his closest ally and had many experiences myself with expanding my own mind and my own consciousness. I would say that Timothy Leary, I guess, is the Terence McKenna of your generation. 
to explain to, to listeners who are familiar with Terrence McKenna is the guy before. Exactly. That's very well said. Uh, let's say that he, he was one of the first pioneers of the consciousness revolution. What I think is interesting is that the first times I ever came across his name it was portrayed as some crazy madman on the same level as like Charles Manson or somebody like that. And then his, I knew I was aware of this person. And then eventually, for some reason, I actually listened to what he was saying in some speeches. And then I, I realized that, well, he's not. He, he, everything he's saying seems completely sane. So where is, who's calling him a madman? <laughs> Those people are mad. Yeah, right. Well, uh, it's it's a very interesting situation that uh, you probably know very well. Um, government, the governments of the world don't want us to have choices. Governments of the world are happy uh, the tighter and tighter and the most uh, the most um, reduced our brains and our vision of the world is the more we are easy to control. So what Timothy Leary was one of the first people uh, uh, saying as one of the first people was expand your mind, expand your choices, have more than one radio station running in your head, and you will be able to make choices, better choices, many choices. So the government's not happy about that, and uh, they actually imprisoned him for just a uh, very, very, very minimal amount of LSD, I mean, of LSD, excuse me, of cannabis found in his car. And um, the government of the United States kept him in prison for three and a half years for one uh, tiny uh, half a half a, a roach, half a half a joint of of cannabis, and um, of course this wouldn't happen today. But um, I would say that he was also one of the one of the people who gave his life. Uh, for the um, for the legalization of marijuana, did it have any effects on him personally? To I mean, prison life in America is uh, can be hard, I guess. So. It was terrible. He was I was with him at the time, and he they actually put him in solitary confinement, and uh, that is a very uh, um, that is equal to torture, of course, we understand that. Uh, but because uh, he uh, was very, very uh, rigor rigorously trained in, um, in yoga and uh, meditation, he was able to uh, really um, survive and expand himself in that situation. Uh, however, uh, it did scare him enormously. I mean, the prison system in this country is uh, monstrous. 
but he eventually got out. Uh, was it? I, I'm not aware of the timeline, but was this happening in the like towards the end or in the middle of his life? Or oh, oh okay, so he he was uh, he was imprisoned when he was 53, and that was in 1973, and he got out in 1976. So he was 56 years old at that time. And uh, basically, uh, we were together from 1971 to 1977. So um, I didn't really follow his life after that. I really concentrated on my own life and who I wanted to become. Because when he went to prison at 53, I was 27. And uh, my uh, my adventures with him sort of pointed me in the direction where I needed to go, which was uh, to become the person that uh, I would be happy to live with. Do you think that I mean, the reason you separated was because of maybe this prison experience did have some impact in the relationship? Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, you know, when um, when a person, is, we were madly in love with each other, but you know, when a person is in prison in this country, and you have to remember that it was for such a tiny amount, and he was in prison with murderers and um, very violent uh, criminals. But I mean, when a person is in prison in this country and treated as a murderer. Um, you can't touch. You can't touch. You, 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 you. But I went to see him uh, actually almost every day, and uh, I smuggled uh, LSD into the prison in my uh, in my belly button, actually. So they would strip search me, but it, they wouldn't search my belly button. So um, that way, sometimes I I could give him some LSD, and even one time I took LSD in the prison visiting room with him. And uh, the feeling, uh, the feeling of freedom, was the same as if we had been in a beautiful open field, because we were we were traveling in. Uh, different dimensions than uh, than the space and time that we live in uh, when uh, when we when our consciousness is not altered so as Tim Leary liked to say uh, freedom cannot be imprisoned I would imagine that if if I had to spend a lot of time in prison to have something like some sort of psychedelic available would be very helpful, especially maybe in isolation. But one thing I have to ask you, maybe he had some remarks on this, that, you know, set and setting is very important to have a really good experience, as you know. Yes. And so when he was doing LSD in his cell, you know, the set and the setting is not really that nice. So how did it influence the experience? I, I'm pretty sure that uh, for him, he was 
as Jimi Hendrix would say, he was experienced enough that uh, he uh, he could go uh, inside within himself and and travel from that place and uh, not uh, not be guided by uh, the ego that might have been uh, that might have been afraid or or imprisoned. Um, so, as I was saying before, if you if you really really look at it, you can't imprison love and you can't imprison freedom. A a person, a being that truly is free, you cannot imprison them. And for me, when I took LSD with him in the visiting room, my set and setting, my context was the love that was flowing between us. So it was the perfect set and setting. I think that wherever there is uh, true, authentic, deep, and beautiful love, the um, the vehicle, uh, the transport, the vehicle of transport is perfect for psychedelics. So you were... Uh like a young woman during the summer of love? Yes, I met him after the summer of love. I I grew up in Europe. I'm um I'm uh, I grew up in Paris. I'm fundamentally European, but the first time he was uh he was imprisoned, he escaped from prison. And uh, I met him in Switzerland. How did he escape? He, <laughs> uh, he was he got himself put in a in a minimum security prison, which uh, is more much 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 less restrictions. And uh, he climbed down uh, a, a telephone wire line, and. Uh, was picked up from there by uh, the group that was similar to the Bader-Meinhofen in um, in Germany, the group called uh, the Weathermen that were revolutionaries here in the 60s. And he got picked up by them and he got smuggled out of the country, out of the United States, and uh, was... Uh, um, on the run for three and a, for three years, two and a half years, I think, and then he got captured back. So after your experiences with Timothy Leary, what, what did you do then? Well, actually, my experience, uh, experiences with Timothy Leary was so uh, intense and. Uh, you can read about it in uh, in my book called Tripping the Bardo with Timothy Leary. And the Bardo, for those who, who are not aware of that, is the, uh, the place between lives. In the Tibetan tradition, you die and uh, you, uh, you are in a sort of a limbo where perhaps you... Uh, recapitulate your whole life before 
And then once you've done that, you're in a sort of a limbo and then you you are reincarnated, you are reborn. So I saw my time with Timothy Leary as uh, an ego death so that everything I had learned that, that had been superimposed on my mind, by my upbringing, by my milieu, by uh, imposed religion, by ways of uh, of communicating with people, by by ways of being in relationship, all that appeared to me as what it was, simply imprinted by my environment so that I could be the person that my family wanted me to be in my environment. And um, so by being with Leary, by taking the LSD, by going through this incredible journey in the American, uh, the American legal system, I sort of became nobody. I was sort of um, erased uh by uh by suffering by fear um and by the uh experiences that i had uh, had lived which i consider was an amazing tremendous monumental gift because the witness was still there but the but the learned behaviors, the belief systems, the ways of functioning in uh, in a particular society were all up for questioning in me, so that I was given the opportunity to rebuild my personality, to rebuild my conscious being from a place of choice. And that's an amazing, amazing journey. Now, who do I want to be? Oh, I want to be a loving being. And what does that mean? That means making that choice a thousand times a day. That means paying attention. That means not living like a robot. That means noticing every single time I am doing something because it has been unconsciously imposed upon me or am I making a choice? And of course, there's no perfection. I mean, I uh, I behave like an automat uh, many times, but there's a very strong witness that is watching and that knows the choice is the most exquisite, uh, beautiful, exciting gift we have. When you say uh, witness, do you mean like your higher spirit self? Yeah, I mean you could you could I I avoid giving it a particular name because there are so many associations for people. Uh, my higher self, my just simply there's a witness there that 
within my consciousness that sees, that notices, and that, above all, makes choices that increase dignity rather than rather than making dignity my dignity smaller and my my shame come up there's a witness there that's constantly working for dignity and love do you think it's this witness that gives you well, I, I don't like that word either because it's s- suspicious but uh, and can be used in the wrong way, but it's the witness who give you some sort of ethics or morale. Because I always wondered, like, I know my parents, when I was growing up, they learned me, like, don't steal or, you know, don't lie or some of those things I learned from them. Don't, don't, mm-hmm. don't throw garbage on the ground or something. Mm-hmm. But... Some things I don't feel I got from them. Something, some things like don't don't torture a kitten, you know. Like some things came from somewhere. It's like it, it wouldn't matter if my my parents would have brought me up saying that it's very good to do that. I wouldn't have done it anyway because it's some something inside that tells me no, that's the wrong thing to do. Do you think it's this witness that's guiding you? Uh, I. I think that the universe is made of love and held together by love. And so when you take away all the veils, when you when you really follow your deepest intuition, that's what you connect with. And that's why you don't torture the kitten. That's why you don't pull the leaves off the trees in a in an angry way you might do that but i mean if you're really paying attention you don't do that i think the universe is 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 love alex and i think our our innate our innate quality the innate quality of all living living things is love so those people who always do very bad things and have no uh, they don't you know care how people feel or what they do do you think they completely lost in their, their suffering they're lost in suffering somewhere along the way they did they didn't they don't they lost the ability to feel loved or to feel love or to feel compassion there's a lot of things that kill. I think children are born. If you look around, I think children are born uh, intuitively compassionate, like what you were just saying about uh, there are certain things that you know. So you are intuitively compassionate, uh, and I think that uh, that uh, uh, ignorance of parents and uh, uh, you know, anger and parents' frustration and their own suffering from their own childhood can kill that compassion in a child. So I would say that the people who do things that are against the life force, they're just people who are who are suffering, who are in an enormous pain. You... Uh... 
now several times you've indirectly referenced Buddhism, I guess. Have you studied Buddhism a lot? Well, I have. I mean, I can't say I've studied Buddhism, Alex. I I find it a very, very interesting and uh, and beautiful way of um, of practicing and describing the world. Uh, it's not the only one, but uh, yes, I, and I think that um, that meditation is a fantastic way to connect with the witness and uh, and to make uh, to make wise choices so this journey when you had to build yourself up again i i imagine took many years what were you was it something just you were thinking about or were you you know reading certain books or using certain techniques or how how okay. were you doing it okay well well, one thing is, uh, for me, I I stopped drinking alcohol, which I found was uh, a um, a very uh, very bad depressant for me. So um, it was in no way a stimulant. It was definitely a depressant. So that was one practical thing that I did. Um, I um, connected and connect deeply with nature uh, in many, many different ways. I uh, I love a lot of the Sufi. Sufi literature has helped me a lot. Um, The Sufi, the Sufis, uh, many Sufis view uh, quote unquote God as the lover, a lover, and uh, that resonates very beautifully with me that uh, whatever we feel is God would be the deepest, most uh, most gentle lover we could have. One of my favorite uh, Rumi quotes, and I, I, I'm not saying it correctly now, but it goes something like, even if you lose yourself in like hate and wrath for a thousand years, I will still be there in the end. Beautiful. Beautiful, Alex. Really beautiful. So every tiny, 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 tiny way in which I can practice that is like... A little, a little dent in the sculpture, sculpture of my being, and uh, and creates the uh, the beauty that I know I am and everyone else is. Taking taking little bits off the armor of our being, and uh, and revealing the beautiful, true divine light that we are the lovers we are we're lovers and that's all we ever want anyway (laughs) there's another sufi quote i don't know who made it but it says that you you should be like a flower and somebody kills the flower by crushing it in their hand and throwing it away but in the hand you still have the scent of the flower 
Ooh, I love that. That's beautiful. I never heard that one. That is beautiful. It's fabulous. I love it. Well, especially at this time where uh, politics in this country I'm perceiving as more insane than ever. Uh, it's they always talking about they're trying to we ha- well it's not perfect but we're gonna fix it and <laughs> it's so funny because it's like it's nothing to it, fix it's yeah yeah I'm with you I'm with you exactly um, we need uh, euthanasia in some of these systems <laughs> <laughs> that's funny exactly yeah done with it we we need to be done with it and and live in a different uh in a whole different way are you do you feel hopeful how it's going to end or is do you think it's going downward so i'm very very hopeful that uh things things are so bleak and all of which i feel is not a right way to live, such as patriarchal domination, uh, ignorance of the planet's needs, um, um, fuel guzzling like crazy, that all these things are coming to the surface to such a degree that uh, it's going to be much more, it is becoming much more obvious and that there's going to be, and there is an ongoing, amazing waking up of people around the planet. I really see that. I believe that. And I think the next, um, for you, uh, younger one, I would tell you, I think the next 20 years are going to be incredibly exciting. Because those of us who have woken up or who are awake are going to have to create a self and a world that, as you were saying, uh, is going to have to be very different than the world we live in. And we're going to have to do that with the maximum love and nonviolence that we possibly can. We're going to have to do that like constantly remembering that we have to smell the flower in the hand. Uh, we can't. We can't. Uh, we can't crush it. We have to uh, honor it and love it and hold it. And yeah, I'm very excited about the next 20 years. I wouldn't have said that to you. Uh, uh, two or three weeks ago, right after the American election, because I felt so depressed and terrible about uh, about Donald Trump being elected. But little by little, myself and many other people are rising and realizing that this is really a time to um, practice art, podcasting to the max, talking to each other, creating more and more community, uh, respecting the local lands around us. Oh, I think I'm more excited than ever. 
before. I, I thought it was good that Trump won because I figured that if Hillary would have won, it would have just set, put the world in some sort of apathy because, oh, it's just another one, you know. So I remember that when the Bush Bush presidents were, uh, at least in Europe, there was like outrage for everything he did and they were trying to stop wars and things. Uh, right. So when Trump came, I thought, oh, it's going to be like that again. So at least there will be more things happening. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. You're absolutely... I mean, I, I think the same way you do. And I don't know if you've been following the events at Standing Rock. Yes. Uh, there's been a, an uprise of uh, Native American people uh, that are protecting the earth and protecting the water against uh, the big oil company companies that are putting uh, pipelines all over the all over the land and the resistance and the type of resistance the loving prayerful ceremonial uh, resistance has been exquisitely beautiful and I think that's going to be happening all over the place, in this country anyway. But I hope also in many countries in Europe where the right-wing patriarchal systems are emerging again. But isn't it also like, it, uh, you know, to the best way to grow new crops is to burn the ground? <laughs> Beautifully said, but hopefully we can um, we can burn the the ground without exercising violence. Hopefully. Uh, do you have you ever used uh, uh, when you started your own journey? Did you ever use any other sacred plants to to guide you? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I um I really believe in uh, mind altering plants and medicines done in the right set and setting with um in loving in in the most possible loving company and uh not in this country of course or in any country where it's forbidden, uh, yes, uh, I at times practice ceremony with um, with plants and medicines to wash the windows of my soul and um, and check out um, other other realities and other other places in the universe. What is your view of the afterlife? Uh, do you think we reincarnate or move on? Or how do you see that? Honestly, I have absolutely no idea. I, I believe that uh, our energy, our essence, our... Our spirit 
is always part of everything, but I don't know how or what. Um, sometimes I feel that the ancestors are really behind us and that the, the spirit of our ancestors is really profoundly with us, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. There is so much I don't know. I don't know. And I just wanted to say, and I think it's really beautiful not to know, not to, uh, not to give, give shape or words to things that are part of the, the mystery of being. One thing I've struggled with, uh, not so much anymore, but a few years back, was when you do uh, some sacred plant medicine and you, uh, you know, it's, you get all this wisdom and you realize things. And then when you come back and you live your life, after a while you start, start to doubt it, like it fades. But then when you do it again, you're... I instantly go, why did I doubt? <laughs> so uh, I've struggled with this thing of like not letting this doubt thing question me. I guess it's like what normal Christians talk about when they say like uh, lose the faith or something like that. But have you had this uh, struggle in any way? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think it's, uh, it's part of our humanity that uh, we have very poor memories of uh, we have uh, our memory of bliss <laughs> it seems to be a little limited because i always have this tendency also to uh i always try to understand things even though i know some things you can never understand uh or know like you said before uh but uh, there's always a part of me when i'm in those places that is like uh, like uh, what do you call those explorers or scientists to try to look at it like what is this you know <laughs> right right um, so so Alex uh, why do you do this why do you uh, expose yourself to plant medicines well, it's the first time I had the experience. I it was only done in the same way that somebody would jump from a par you know do a parachute yeah. jump. Like I, yeah. I read about it and I thought, oh, I want to see what that is. And uh, I was so I was utterly shocked. It was not at all what I thought it would be. And it started uh, like uh, he, I was started healing me and changing me as an individual, which I didn't, I didn't, uh, I did not antici anticipate that. It was completely <laughs> surprising, and because uh, I thought when I went into it that I, I, all was fine, uh, and then uh, this was I don't know maybe seven eight years ago, so. Uh, uh, so now I use it as what what Christians would use the, as a church, you know, like not every Sunday, but like it it varies, like once a year or every other year. I have a 
I do it and it's just to like uh, continue whatever journey I'm on spiritually. Is that ayahuasca? Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, well, you see, I think that what it does is that it, it scrubs you clean and it takes what it takes to scrub you clean. It takes the time that it takes, the number of times that, you know, and um, and as long as you still have some sculpting to do, I like to use the word sculpting, still, still, as long as you still need to be sculpted, you will still doubt that um, the more beautiful world is the world that you live in and we live in. Um, and it takes what it takes for for the medicine to scrape off all the uh, all the suffering and the pain and the um, the mud that you've been rolling in that we've been rolling in a lot of mud, a lot of confusion, a lot of pain in childhood, most of the people. And that's where the doubt comes from. And if you have the courage to take these medicines and to take them for healing and for awareness and for truth, then you you will be scrubbed clean. You will. And, and at every moment, you will remember that we are here to experience ecstasy, really. We are ecstasy. And what we live is ecstatic. So bravo, bravo for your courage. I, I admire you. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> like, uh, I remember like last time I went to Peru everybody else who was there to do the ceremony they were all there for the first time mm -hmm. and they were all very excited and i was there for my uh, you know you do several ceremonies but i was there f it was it was the third time i was in peru right right and i was terrified <laughs> and they had never done it and they were like so excited and i was utterly right. terrified <laughs> yeah it takes a lot of courage to be an explorer and it takes uh, even more courage to be a self-explorer, I imagine, than than being uh, the first person to um, to discover Victoria Falls. It takes more courage to explore yourself and 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 who you are than than it took Livingston to uh, discover the Victoria Falls. I believe that. Because I also have this belief that, like, if I take like a silly example, let's say you you go down there and you do an ayahuasca ceremony and you are told stop smoking, it's ruining you, your body or something, and then you come home and you don't stop, and then you go back and it tells you again, and you know I I always I never I never go back until I feel I have gone uh, you know f gone forward. Otherwise, it feels 
I I don't want it. I don't want to be told whoever tells me. I don't know, but I don't want to like experience what I've already been told. You know, so a part of being ter- yeah, yeah, terrified is like, have I will it approve of my homework? You know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, it's the mother. It's the mother of us all. I think. I feel la madre ayahuasca. She's the mother of us all. So, uh, have you any experience with like, uh, um, like, mani- do you, can you meditate to leave your body like naturally? Uh, no, I have not. Uh, I have not had that experience in meditation. Um, I, uh, I've had that experience in dream. I've had some exquisite. Uh, Um, what I would call semi-lucid dreams, in other words, where I know that I'm dreaming and I'm I'm very much paying attention to what I'm dreaming. I don't, uh, I'm not able to move things around intentionally like some people can do. I mean, some people experience lucid dreaming like um, they're the director of the movie that they're experiencing. Uh, the movie Dream they're experiencing, um, but um, I uh, I'm able to be very lucid in a dream, and yes, I have experienced definitely experienced uh, dying and leaving my body in dream um, with the medicine, um, but not through meditation. And what it what does it uh, what does it feel like to be um, to be spirit to have uh, to not be in in the human experience per se? Uh, it feels like an experience of love so so supreme that. Uh, I don't think I could support that experience with the senses that come with being in a body. I just read a very good book called The Dead Saint Chronicles and it's uh, about uh, it's like a uh, a study of all these near death experiences that people have had. Uh-huh. And it's written by a Christian and it's written in America. So many of the people who had these experiences were Christian. So um, they they all have a very Christian perspective on what they experience. But the book also explains that if they were all Muslim, they would have a Muslim version of the experience. You know, if you if you see the light of God, you can say, oh, it's yeah. Jesus or it's Muhammad or whatever. So if you if you read the book and ignore depending on your faith and just read the actual f- facts it's it's very interesting and one thing i thought was was interesting in, in is that all these thousands many thousand near death experiences they're also s- very similar and w- what it says is that often when you die and you leave your body um you start to see 360 degrees 
which is almost yeah. impossible to to imagine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. I would say I've had that that experience in dreaming, definitely. The experience, um, and and uh, I I had that experience during a um, um, an attempted suicide many 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 years ago, and uh, I had the experience of um, seeing in a three hundred and sixty degree place and being totally detached from my body and having a choice whether to to come back or not quite a, quite an extraordinary experience so so was it like a failed suicide uh, attempt yeah yeah right <laughs> yeah it was definitely a failed suicide attempt um it was not a um it was not a successful suicide attempt. <laughs> I find it very funny that one could have failed or successful suicide attempts. No, I mean, like, sometimes you can, like, do... You don't really want to die, you just do it to... Like... Oh, yeah, no, no, I completely agree with you. I, I, uh, I just wanted to... Uh, I was feeling a lot of pain, uh, a lover of mine had died in a in a heart in a in a plane crash and a sudden plane crash and I just wanted to get out of the pain that was that was the reason I just wanted to get out of the pain and uh I think I think that most people who um who attempt suicide uh, really want to get out of the pain, and they can't figure out any way to get out of the pain. Nothing, nothing, nothing works to get out of the pain. And I would say that the ne- the best drug is a is a good human being friend to get out of the pain. I remember when I was a teenager, I had a suicidal period, as you can do with the puberty and all that. And I remember that because uh, there's always so, when you grow up, you're, there's always somebody you know that manages to kill themselves. And uh, I was always in in those days. I rem- I remember I was always impressed that they dared to do it because I was I felt suicidal, but I w- I, w- I would never go that far. And, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I understand. I mean, from from my uh, teenage puberty perspective, <laughs> I was impressed. Uh, right. Right. Uh, right. And I think the reason I didn't do it was because I didn't want to. Like, my mother would have been so upset. <laughs> yeah, it's not a nice thing to do to people who love you. No, it's probably the worst thing you can ever do to people who love you. In fact, what actually stopped me having these thoughts was that uh, it was actually around... I was a teenager around the time when Kurt Cobain killed himself. Oh, right, right. And uh, I was a a big Nirvana fan. 
And so when he, when he killed himself, for some reason, I can't explain it, but my need to kill myself completely vanished. And I always felt like, for me, he like killed himself for, I mean, through him, I killed myself, but I didn't have to do it. Wow, that's <laughs> an amazing story. I wonder how many people he killed himself for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, really. That's an ex- extraordinary story. There must be there must be thousands of people or more who feel the same way. And uh, he had a little baby uh, when he did it and I have a little baby now. Now I'm have have a different view. I'm thinking like I'm wondering because there's these conspiracy theories, of course, that he was murdered, and, and I'm, I'm I'd never believed them, but now I'm thinking like maybe they're true because the way I feel when I have my baby, it wouldn't matter what kind of suffering I would have. I don't think I ever could do that in in right, this situ- right. situation. You know? Yeah, yeah. I I honestly think that you once you accept to be loved by someone and to be loved by someone in such a vulnerable way, you have no right to kill yourself. I mean, you can play with the idea all you want, although you don't want to play with it too much because uh, obsession is about the worst pain one can experience, but you can't do it. If you allow someone to love you, you can't kill yourself. can't do it. It's not right. What's fascinating with this little child, because he's only like a year old, mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. even though, I mean, there is some sort of unconditional love between me and the mother of the child, you know, if I did certain things, you know, maybe she wouldn't love me as much anymore, or it's still some condition to it. But when that child looks at me, it's completely unconditional, at least at this age. <laughs> It's my first experience of of having somebody do that to me. So it's quite for me. It's been quite intense to to how, see that. How beautiful! How beautiful! Well, that's how I imagine the love of the whole universe. That to the maximum degree. That's that's how I imagine it. That's how I perceive it. That's how I believe it to be. Maybe that's why Jesus said, he said something like, uh, only, I can't remember the exact phrase, but something like, you can only enter heaven as a child. You're right, Alex. I'm sure that's why whatever, the Je- whatever Jesus was, uh, I'm sure that's why that was att- attributed to that being. I live in a fairly atheistic area of the world, and uh, every time I say some Jesus quote to somebody, they always start arguing me if if he existed or not. And I said, "Did you hear? Did you hear the message? Because it doesn't really matter who it was." Exactly, it's it's all a message of love, and everything else just comes from the from the pain, from the the seemingly bottomless well of pain that really has been inflicted and taken on, you know? It reminds me of this, uh, I saw this little clip on YouTube where this guy goes around in America quoting Donald Trump and asking Donald Trump supporters if they agree with those quotes. 
and they agree, of course. And then he says to them that, no, these quotes are actually from Hitler. Do you agree now? And they say, <laughs> no, we don't agree. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's a very good example. That's an excellent example. Yeah. Doesn't... Um... I don't like to put... I mean, I love words. I love words. I think words are just... Uh, exquisite, can be exquisite creations, but on um, onto on what God could be or the the ultimate meaning of things, I don't like to put words. I think we live in a we live in an extraordinary mystery, and uh, that's. Uh, that's the example of acceptance. That's why our greatest uh, our greatest quality in life is to be able to live in acceptance of what it is and what we don't know. But do you have any uh, future projects or are you writing any more books or something like that? Yep, I'm writing another book. Um that uh, for the moment is called An Elegant Chaos. And I'm also preparing a 90-minute uh, one-woman monologue that uh, I hope to present in the theater in uh, as many places as possible that will be ready in about um, nine months good time for gestation. So I'm hoping to be published again and to be on stage. And um, to just continue the uh, the inner and outer heart revolution. So if people want to listen to your podcast or get your book, uh, what's the website? The website is www. Uh, Future Primitive, in one word, futureprimitive.org. And you can get the book on Amazon, and it's called Tripping the Bardo with Timothy Leary. Can you also shortly just explain why you call it uh, Future Primitive? I call it Future Primitive because I believe there will no, not be a future uh unless we listen to those who have come before us or those who were here when we got here and um, the first people of this earth. So we need to listen, to hear, to understand, to honor the ancestors, the first people of this earth, so we can live into a future. Okay. Yeah. So thank you very much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Thank you, Alex. It was really good to be with you. Go to futureprimitive.org if you want to check out Joanna's podcast. And the name of the book was Tripping the Bardot with Timothy Leary. And it's available in most places if you Google it. 
And now for some music to close this episode. The band is called The Y Axis and the song is Light from the album Sunglasses and Solar Flares. You can listen to more of their music at theyaxis.bandcamp.com and I will post links to their music in the program notes as well together with uh, the link to Joanna's uh, podcast, of course. That's it for uh, this week's episode. Have a good Sunday if you are listening to this the day it came out, or have a good day if you are listening to it someday in the unknown future. Freedom is in the mind. And oh.